Today we're going to finish up the fruit of the Spirit on self-control. And you've probably heard a lot of sermons before on self-control. It seems like almost every sermon is something about controlling something. And maybe you have listened politely, and maybe you continued in a certain area out of control. And I just want to tell you, when that happens, the Bible calls that quenching the Spirit. Here's the idea. The Holy Spirit, like, wants to be ablaze and, and fiery in you where you're walking in holiness for the Lord. And when you hear the Word of God, you hear the commands of God's Word, and then you go away and you don't do them, that's, that's a quenching of the Spirit. And the way I'm looking at it this morning, it's going to kind of go like this. This is, gonna, this is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to do one of two things. Listen to the sermon politely, nod, occasional amen if you're into that, and go away and do nothing. That's quenching of the Spirit. Or you can listen to the Word, take it in, be changed, and let the Spirit of God continue to, to light this fire in your life and change. One or two things is going to happen. Every single person here, you're going to choose one way or you're going to go the other way. And here's the deal. I understand that you're busy. I understand school's starting up, work, fall, whatever. And a lot of you, you don't want to take time to deal with whatever you need to deal with. If that is you, then you're going to quench your spirit and walk away. And when you start making that a pattern, that is not good. So no matter how busy you are in life, no matter what's going on, be open to the Spirit of God this morning the Word of God, and be open to that fire of change in your life. Before we get going, let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would stir us up by your Spirit, that you would bring your Word alive. We are people in need of change. So we're talking about the self-control. All of us have struggled with things in the past, maybe right now, or will struggle in the future. And I just ask that if someone came in here today, just kind of go through the motions and just going to walk away and do nothing, that you would convict them right now, change them right now, to listen intently, and may your words stir them this morning. Stir me, stir all of us. In Jesus, your name we pray, amen. I want to start by telling you a famous story that is probably not true. I don't know if it's true or not. You tell me afterwards if it's true or not. It has to do with spider monkeys. They're not, they're, not, uh, they're not spiders, they're monkeys. They're called spider monkeys. And this story is set in Africa, or maybe it's South America, or maybe it's Evanston. I don't know. Anywhere where people want to catch spider monkeys. Here's the way you catch a spider monkey. They like nuts, apparently. You take a nut, and the hunters put it in a really heavy jar on the ground, a jar that the spider monkey can't lift. Spider monkey's just doing whatever they do, coming along, sees a nut, spider monkey wants the nut, reaches down, grabs the nut, but he has a problem. He cannot bring his hand back up through the neck of the jar because it's too heavy. Now, if he wants to be free, all he has to do is let go of the nut and he can go and do whatever spider monkeys do. But the spider monkey brain doesn't work like that. He wants the nut. He grabs it. 
will not let go, will not be able to pull his arm back through. He's stuck, and he just waits for the hunter to come and scoop him up. Isn't that a great story? I don't know if that's true or not. Who cares? The analogy is awesome. Don't you agree? The analogy is like right on. We have these things in our life that we grab, we think are so valuable, and we're going to hold on to them at the cost of our freedom. Some of you are holding on to the nut, and you have no freedom, and you're stuck. All you got to do is let go, but you're stuck right there. And on these self-control issues, whatever you're dealing with, it's common to men, and it's common to women. Don't think that your particular struggle is just so weird that no one else struggles with. No, that's common to men and to women. And whatever it may be, maybe you have uh, spending money issues or eating issues, all types of eating issues, or maybe your, your, your issue is laziness or wasting time, or maybe you're angry and you have out-of-control speech or sexual morality issues or the abuse of drugs, whether they're legal or illegal, or alcohol issues, or maybe you have a, a sinful thought life. And the reality is, is that some of you have been stuck in this pattern for so long, you do not even know what freedom looks like. All you know, you grab the nut, you're stuck, you have no freedom. You don't even know what that's like. And I'm here to tell you this. There can be real freedom in Jesus Christ. I don't know where you're coming from, but I believe Jesus is real. He walked this earth, died, rose again, and I believe he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's still doing stuff on this earth. And I believe he wants to act in your life and give you freedom. And I'm going to preach from that gospel confidence today. And if you're with me, let's do it. Let's turn to the book of Titus. We're going to be in the book of Titus. I'm going to put you on notice. In three weeks, we're going to be starting the book of Romans. I keep saying that, but there's got to be three more sermons before we jump into Romans. Look at the book of Titus. It's near the back of your Bible. The context of our passage this morning is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to Titus, who is his co-worker, who uh, is a leader in the churches in Crete. And there was this false teaching going on in the early church, as there is in most of the churches um, going on in the early church, that led to a lot of ungodliness. And this ungodliness, this out-of-control living, was actually a good fit for the culture of Crete, which had a reputation for ungodliness. And what Paul's going to do, he's going to show that the grace of Jesus Christ actually gives them power to live a life of godliness and self-control. And the way we're going to set up our passage is the way the Apostle Paul sets up the passage, by addressing four different groups in the church, and those four groups are represented here right now. He says this in the context. He says, old men, be sober-minded and self-controlled. At this stage in your life, there's no need to be messing around recklessly with money or recklessly with immorality. And then he says, and now old women. You older women, you need to control your tongue and you need to control your drink. You don't need to sit around gossiping and getting drunk. And then he says, and now younger women, 
you need to get some self-control as well so that you can love those closest to you. This is not a time to go off in your life and find yourself by indulging in all types of junk. You need self-control. And then he comes to the young men. And you wonder, what is the Apostle Paul going to say to the young man? He basically says this, guys, you need self-control. And he leaves it at that. They just need self-control in all types of areas. Self-control, absolutely. And so he addresses each one of these groups He's addressing us, and we, want, we need self-control, and the issue is, how do you get it? And that's our passage. Let me read it to you. Titus 2, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says to Titus, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. According to this passage, the solution to your self-control problem is the grace of Jesus Christ. Basically, this is a whole passage that's saying, I'm going to encourage you to get caught up in Jesus. And if you don't get caught up in Jesus, you will move from one addiction to another. You will move from one nut to the other nut. I see see it all the time. When I was in, in California, I was in the Santa Monica area, I was in charge of this property who rented out some rooms to those in um AA groups, which is great, you know, great program, right? So, and what I found as I interacted with them is that it was awesome. They got rid of the alcohol. Absolutely. That's so destructive, right? But they seemed to switch nuts as I would hang out in the parking lot with them smoking like crazy. Switch nuts. Of course, it's less destructive to society, of course, yeah? But we can switch nuts as well. So let's just say you have, I don't know, a sexual morality issue. You nail it, but you just switch nuts, and now you're obsessively exercising all the time. Nothing wrong with exercise, but you made it your idol. You've switched nuts. And and the same thing can happen for those of you who have eating issues. You want to tackle it. You're like, man, I just got to quit eating like this. And now you've switched nuts, and you've turned into the health food police. Are there any health food police in here? You switch nuts. That's your new nuts. We don't want to do that. That's why we want to have Christ front and center and his grace. So we want him. We don't want to move from addiction to addiction to addiction. Why do that? Sure, some addictions are less harmful to society, but it's still an addiction. You're still captured by some idol. We want freedom, and that freedom is going to come in Christ. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk about his grace from this passage, the grace of Jesus, And let's just say it has three different aspects. Let me put those up on the screen for you. We're going to look at his saving grace, his training grace, and future grace. And it's laid out pretty well for us in this passage. So let's start with the saving grace. Look at verse 11 again. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. What does that mean? It's talking about Jesus. Jesus, grace incarnate, has appeared. 
And in his appearance, it says that he has brought salvation for all people. Old men, old women, young men, young women. He's brought salvation for all those who put their faith in him can be forgiven by grace alone in the finished work of Christ alone, faith alone. Now, for those of you who have grown up in church, maybe churches like this that actually believe the Bible, you've heard the gospel message of the grace of Jesus a lot. Perhaps you have taken it for granted. This past Friday, I was out with our intern, Mitch, and we were sharing the gospel on the streets of Evanston. And here is a little pattern that we saw. It went like this. Share the gospel, and then we ask the person, have you ever heard this before? And more than once, people said, no. In Evanston, on the streets, I'm not talking about some remote village in the middle of nowhere. This gospel of grace is really not out there. Usually people are told, jump through this hoop, this hoop, this hoop. Maybe you'll get forgiven. Good luck getting to heaven. I hope it goes well for you. But the message that we are proclaiming is one of grace, that Jesus is the perfect sinless one, not you. Put your faith in his finished work on the cross, burial and resurrection, and you can be forgiven. Grace through faith in Christ. So great message. And it's that message of grace that Paul also says here. Well, guess what? It's this grace that has come to you that can cause you to see that the power of sin is broken. Basically, he's saying because of the salvation that has come to you in Jesus, you don't have to go back to your sin. You are now free Drop the nut and run. A little bit more clarity here. Look at, look at verse 14. A little more clarity. It says of Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Did you catch that? Redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I mean, I'm not at the shouting type, but my goodness, do you see that? The saving grace of Jesus frees you from all lawlessness. Do you get that? You used to be enslaved to the nut of sin. You used to grab it and you wouldn't let go. It, you were enslaved to it. Sin was your master. But now in the death of Christ, the power of sin is broken. I can't wait to get to Romans. We're going to talk about that all the time. Look at Power is broken. You don't have to do it anymore. You can let go of the nut and now you can run. You now are a free people through Jesus. Jesus says you're my possession. Yes, you see it? My possession. You're the possession of Jesus. He looks at you and he says, mine. Sin is no longer your master. You don't have to obey sin anymore. You don't have to obey Satan anymore. You can walk away and say, okay, I'm free. I have a new master. I'm possessed now by Jesus Christ and his grace. And I must say, this saving grace of Jesus has served me greatly. There's a common story that I tell. I'm not going to get into the details right now. But from the age of 12 to 21, I was immersed in a pattern of sexual morality. Big time. Big time. So I get saved at 19, and some of the more public forms of sexual morality fall away. But the private forms are still there. And I used to think to myself, this is impossible. I'm going to be a quasi-Christian. And I'm going to indulge in these private immoralities the rest of my life. I hate it, but it's impossible. 
But as I studied the Word and started spending some time in prayer, I was like, that, like the Holy Spirit just, just spoke to me through the Word. It said this. It said this. Are you going to love yourself? Or are you going to love me? Which is it? Are you going to love yourself? Or are you going to love me? And in the past, in the past, I did not have that option. Before I was saved, that wasn't an option. There was no freedom. I'm just going to love the nut of sin and indulge in this. But now, being saved, and that freedom in Christ, nailing sin, breaking it, I had an option to choose. I guess you could say, I don't want to be controversial here, but before I got saved, I didn't have free will. Everybody has free will, right? No, slave was my master. But now that's broken. I guess you could say, well, now you got a choice, right? You're free. Don't go back to that. You can choose to walk away from that. There's freedom in Christ. And what happened at 21, God did a work, and I said, I am done here. And I have never grown so much in my life. And for those of you who know the enslavement of sin, especially the enslavement of sexual morality, when you leave that, the growth that happens in your life is amazing. But my story is not. I left that, and I've never been tempted before ever again. You know those testimonies that go like that? Like, man, I just got saved, and I left that, and I was never tempted again the rest of my life. And I'm like, good for you. I don't like you, <laughs> you know? It's like, What's, what can I, I mean, that's great. I know that there's, that's true in some areas for me too, I, okay. But we need the saving grace, but we also need the training grace, the training grace, that daily walk. And we have the training grace here in Jesus, this ongoing aspect. Look again at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, verse 2, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Are you seeing that there? Grace also trains, that grace trains you to renounce ungodliness. Uh, for those of you who have the NIV, the grace teaches you to say no to this ungodliness and worldly passions and live a self-controlled life. What we mean by the training grace of Jesus is we mean that right now the Holy Spirit lives in us, the Holy Spirit of God, and now we have power we did not previously have and we can say no to sin. We can actually live self-controlled lives. Before I was saved, I did not have the Spirit of God. I was reckless. I was enslaved, moving from one night to the next night, and now I have power I did not previously have to say no to sin. And just because we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit does not mean that your effort is left out of the picture. So many of us have a skewed view, a messed up view of sanctification, growing in Christ, which says, I'm just going to let go and let God. Whatever that is. I'm just going to, God, you just do it. I'm not going to do anything. That's That's a messed up view of sanctification. You actually have to exert effort. Effort. And it's grace empowered effort. The Holy Spirit effort and power. But you do something. Let me tell you a little bit about training for a moment. This past week, I did something I've never done before in my entire life. This past week, I went to the BMW Golf Championship Series, okay? I went to a golfing event. I never wanted to go to a golfing event because I watch golf on TV and it's so boring. 
But I went to this golfing event up in Lake Forest. Best golfers in the world are there right now. And when I watched him, I'm like, whoa, such control over the ball. I mean, they can chip it better than I could throw it up there. And they just, it gets up there and it lands and it just stays there. Like when I hit it, it just goes everywhere. But they have so much self-control. They train, they train, and they train. And then everybody there that's there, they want to follow Tiger Woods because he's the best golfer in the world. And so I'm on some greens or Charlie, anybody there. But wherever Tiger's at, huge, massive crowds. And so I'm, I'm standing on the side of the fairway. He's, he's finishing up his last hole, and he's coming right in front of me, and I'm taking a picture of him, and people are yelling at me, don't take pictures. And so I take a picture of Tiger, and I'm thinking, Tiger, number one golfer in the world, amazing self-control, right? Boom. Boom, does everything he wants to do. A few years back, he was at the top of his game, winning the majors like crazy. But his personal world, falling apart. Top of his game, self-control on the course. Private life, no self-control, falling apart. Some of you, top your game. You've made it. You've reached there. Some of you are in college, you're training to be at the top of your game. Private world, falling apart. No self-control. Keep going back to the same sin. And my encouragement to you today is this. Redirect your training efforts. Redirect your training efforts. The time and the energy that you're putting to be at the top of your game, take some of that time and energy and redirect it to your personal life and walking in holiness with grace, empowered self-control. I know you say you don't have time. I know you're busy. I know you're working to be the number one of whatever in the, in the world. Why does it matter when your private life is falling apart? Now, do you think what we do at church is just get people to stop doing the naughty stuff? Just stop doing all the naughty stuff. Just stop doing wrong. Quit it, quit it, quit it. You think the pastor's always talking about, just stop it, quit it. We're just not trying to get you to live self-controlled lives. We're trying to get you to put something in its place, something productive, something for the glory of God. So not just all talking about the negative stuff we're not supposed to be doing. We also want to do the positive. And, and that is as well as in this passage. Did you see at the very end of verse 14? Did you see it there? It says, he wants people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Just like you're zealous for your sin, now be zealous for good works. This training grace empowers us for good works. I'm not just saying stop, stop the sin. No. Put off the sin and put on something else. And here, it's zealous for good works. It, it, it goes like this. Let's just pick on the single girls for a moment. If there's any single girls here, don't feel like I'm attacking you personally. Maybe I am. <laughs> single girls. This is a common occurrence. I don't know why it happens. But single girls in the church... Sometimes date the wrong guys. Don't raise your hand. They just go out with guys who are not believers and who just like, they continually have this pattern of no control. Guy asks them out, they go out, they get into this unhealthy relationship. The guy's not a believer and he walks away and like, I'm never going to do that again. And then they do it again. 
no self-control. But let's take the single woman who starts to get to a point where she says, you know what? Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is my all in all. Jesus is everything. And so she's like, no, I'm going I'm to hold off and not do that anymore. I'm going to follow Christ. But get this. Then she starts saying, I'm going to be zealous for good works. I'm going to invest in young women who make poor choices. I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to give them Christ. I'm going to give them grace. So we're not just saying self-control. We also want to say be zealous for good works. Put off the sin. Put on good works. Training grace. Well, let's finish up here. Future grace, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, just as an aside here, do you see this verse? It's a great verse on the deity of Jesus. People are always saying, the Bible doesn't say Jesus is God. Well, then this is a great one right here. Jesus, who is our great God and Savior. Anyway, Jesus, our great God and Savior, has poured out his grace on us. So we have the saving and training grace of Jesus to live a godly life, and now we wait for the grace and the second coming of Jesus. As we struggle down here, it says that we're waiting for our blessed hope and the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes back a second time, which I believe he is going to at any time, when he comes back, the reality is your struggle with sin will be over. You need to know that whatever your issues are, they have a deadline. They're going to end. No matter what it is, it's going to end. There's a deadline to your struggle. And you're going to have the grace of Jesus. And if you, th- if you think about what we're, what we're saying here, we're saying the saving grace removes the power of sin. The training grace empowers you to say no to sin. And the future grace, what does it do? It's going to remove you from the presence of sin. When you're with the Lord, you'll be with him forever. The presence of sin is gone. And the early church thought the coming of Jesus was a big deal. I know you can go like six months without even thinking about Christ's return. It's not that big of a deal. We don't talk about it that much. But the early church were all about the second coming of Jesus. He is coming back. In fact, he's coming back, and it motivates us to live a godly life. That's the way they roll. They talk about the second coming of Jesus all the time. Let me give you some examples. First John. First John 3 says, We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And First Peter, therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And these passages are saying, you know, he's coming back, you're going to get grace. So you've got to live a holy life now, not because you're trying to earn some salvation, it's because you already got it. And since you love Jesus, anticipate his coming. May it affect your living. Why waste your time with sin? Why get caught up in the futility of sin if Christ is coming back? If Christ is going to show up, would you be doing a lot of the foolish things that you're doing right now? Like, come on, just be honest. Would you really do those things? If he's like, he's coming back on Tuesday. What are you going to do differently today and tomorrow? And the answer should be nothing. I love Jesus. I'm not going to waste my time in sin because he could show up anytime, and I'm not doing this because I feel like he's going to come down and and squash me. It's not because I love him. I love them. Take it on a human level. Let's just say you want to visit sin. You want to stop by and say hi to sin. 
So you visit a website, you go to a bar, go to a club, whatever, however you roll, whatever you want to do, wherever your sin's at. So you visit sin, you stop in and say hi. And while you're visiting sin, your parents pay you a visit. Or your son or daughter wants to come visit you. They see you. Or your best friend walks in on you and sees you in your sin. How does that make you feel? It makes you feel busted. It makes you feel convicted. But it also makes you feel like, you know, I love you guys. Why was I doing that foolishness? Now enter Jesus. If he's coming back, and it could be at any time, and plus he sees you right now, why would you want to waste your time? You love him. You don't want to get caught up in foolishness. You love him. Recap. Saving grace, Jesus, power of sin is broken. Training grace of Jesus, you now have power to obey. And then you come to the future grace of Jesus. Sin has a deadline. Christ is coming back. Don't waste time. This is probably a message you've heard a lot, especially if you grew up in church. You've heard this message of grace over and over again. It's supposed to propel sanctification and growth. It's a common message. And maybe today you say, Pastor, it's fresh. You preached it fresh. Thank you. I'm actually considering altering a little bit, maybe. You're like, I'll make a change. Yeah, I'll make a change. And you're sitting there, and maybe some of you are saying, you know what, I'm actually going to try to make a change right now. But there's this part of you in the back of your brain. I don't know. It's the front of your brain, or I don't know where it's at. But there's a part of you right now that's saying, I don't trust myself. I don't trust myself. I've been to church before. I've heard sermons before. I've made commitments before. And I just kind of go back into the sin the next day or the next week. And it's like right now where you're sitting, you don't trust yourself, right? You're not going to be tricked again. You're not going to trick yourself again. You don't want to say, oh, I'm going to make this commitment, and then you just bail. Why does that happen? Why does it happen that we sit in church, hear sermons, agree, want self-control, and then continue out of control? Why does that happen? Probably the number one reason why it happens is this. You have no plan. You have no plan. And you feel good that you're here right now. You want to make a change, but you're like, okay, I'm going to make a change. I guess I don't have a plan. You have no plan. Ed Welch, who's a great counselor, has put it like this. This is what we need. We need to develop a clear publicized plan. We need to develop a clear, publicized plan. Think about it for a moment. How many of you bail on New Year's resolutions? Yeah, most of us do, right? You're sitting around New Year's Eve, you're stuffed, you realize that you have this unhealthy relationship with food, it's not wise the way that you're eating or not exercising, you just feel, feel yucky and you're like, man... I'm, I'm changing everything. And then the new year starts, and you're gone about two weeks later. You, 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 you said, nah, forget it. Why did that happen? You didn't have much of a plan. You're like, yeah, I did. I, I bought a gym membership. Well, good for you. That's not much of a plan. But take it with anything that you're struggling with. What's the plan? Was it clear? Did others know about this is what Ed Welch says. Here's a great quote from him. I mean, this is a great money quote right here. He says this. 
There was no thoughtful plan. No consideration of the spiritual dominion involved. No calling out for the grace of God in Christ. No real desire to take one's soul to task. And no pleas for help and counsel from other brothers and sisters. And there it is. It's right there. If you're serious, you will get a clear, publicized plan. None of this going out of your own. None of this trying to pull it off your own. What you have to do is find people and you say, look, talk to me about the grace of Jesus over and over again and help me with the plan to change. And I want to be very, very clear about this once again. You need people to hold you accountable and with a plan. And here's going to be the kicker. You need people locally. Write it down locally because most of you are not from here. And so I'll ask you a question like this. Where do you get your fellowship? Who holds you accountable? Oh, there's this girl, friend of mine. She lives in Florida. Or there's this guy. He lives in the, on the North Pole. I mean, just people so far away. Yeah, I talk to them on Skype about once a month, and we talk about our issues. No. Get people locally that know you, that see you, that interact with you on a regular basis. And I know you just moved here, a lot of you, and you don't know people. And I think I say one of the best places for you to work this stuff out, to develop a clear publicized plan, is what we call our ethos communities. Most of you have not been to those yet because you're new. What you're going to find when you show up to an ethos community is a lot of, um, I'm just going gonna, gonna, gonna to boast in the strength of our church. Can I do that for a moment? I'm going to boast in the strength of our church. And the Apostle Paul boasts in the same way, all right? This is why we're strong as a church. We admit our weaknesses. If you show up to an ethos community, you will see a lot of broken people who have issues, and you may show up and say, man, these people are really messed up. And, and, and they're not any more messed up than anybody else, but they just will admit it to you. And they will admit they need the grace of Jesus to change and deal with their issues. And I, I wish I could share some stories with you, but that would, that would, that would betray confidences of your story. So I've, I've imported another story from another church, and I'm going to make it fit here today because I don't want to betray confidence. So here's, here's a common, this is what happens in our ethos communities, right? You ready for this? This girl named Marla, she, it's probably not a real name, but this girl named Marla, she walks into an ethos community, and it's all new to her. And she hears this guy in the group confess what he's been struggling with and praying about. And she says this. As soon as the guy confessed it, she was like, <gasps> she, she couldn't get her breath. She couldn't believe that he actually talked about that in public. And then she thought, dude, you just wait. They're going to nail you. But the group didn't. Didn't crush him. Listened to him. Encouraged. Prayed for him. In fact, some of the other members in the group said, we struggle with the same thing. And then Marla spoke up as well. She said, I struggle with the same thing too. What we find in our ethos communities is vulnerable people encouraging other vulnerable people to find change in Jesus Christ. That's what we do 
vulnerable people encouraging other vulnerable people to find change in Jesus Christ. We want to be changed. We want to be those who are exhibiting self-control because we love the Lord. So my brothers and sisters, what's your plan? Who knows about it? Who can talk you through it? Who can walk with you this week? If you do not get a clear, publicized plan, you are quenching the spirit, you are playing games, and you're just listening to another sermon, one ear, out the other, not paying attention, doing nothing. Do you want to get into a habit of quenching the spirit week after week? The Spirit of God wants to start a blaze of change. I know many of you are busy. I know you just started school. I know you have whatever you have going on. But God's like, make this a priority today because we're talking about a relationship with Jesus. And if you're playing around with sin and you're distracted in sin, you're saying, Jesus, stay over there. I'll see you when I finish school. I'll see you when I get to where I want to be in my career and my family. Stay over there, Jesus. Let's not be those people. Let's say, Jesus, come on. Give me your grace. Show me your love. You're not going to bail on me. You love me. You care for me. I'm open. Change me and make it known to others. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for the guy in here who is who's stuck, who has no freedom in Christ. He's holding on to his sin. May you show them that in Christ there is freedom. There is freedom from thoughts that are so reckless that never go away from actions that feel stuck in. Lord, show that guy there's freedom. And for, for that girl in here who doesn't believe it's possible to be free, show her that in Christ there is freedom, there is power in the grace of Jesus. And Lord, I just ask you to help me. I don't want to play games with you. I want this wonderful grace to just permeate my life. And may you do that to all of us, Lord, permeate our life. Show us those areas we were just kind of holding on to guard because we're going to deal with later. Lord, may we deal with them today and may we be so bold to be vulnerable with our weakness and get it out that we need a clear, publicized plan. We need a plan, God, show us. And we just do this because we love you. We are so appreciative of your grace. So do this work in us now. And may it start today. In Jesus' name, amen.